0: Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old-Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old-time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit ComicWeb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of Ford Theater called Double Indemnity, starring Burt Lancaster. It first aired on October fifteenth, 1948. The show's about an hour long.
1: AM Los Angeles, both AM and FM. 25 seconds before 7 p.m. B-U-L-O-V-A, Boulevard watch time. Boulevard invites you to see His Excellency, America's greatest watch value, leader of your jeweler's 1948 watch parade.
2: Yes, Double Indemnity is on the air tonight at 7 in just a few seconds. Bert Lancaster, Joan Bennett are the stars.
1: Here with Story of an explosive triangle a man, a woman, and murder. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we bring you Mr. Burt Lancaster and Miss Joan Bennett in James M. Kane's memorable melodrama, Double Indemnity. This is the Ford Theater.
2: Ford Motor Company, builder of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, invites you to the Ford Theater, a full hour of the finest dramatic entertainment
3: with celebrated stars of Hollywood and Broadway. And now to introduce tonight's program, here is the director of the Ford Theater, Fletcher Mock.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to step into the brassy yellow afternoons and nervous nights of summertime Los Angeles to enact for you one of James Cain's best Californian thrillers. Double indemnity is a curious blend of passion, violence, and justice, the kind of story that rings the bell even more often than Mr. Cain's renowned postman. And with us in the Ford Theater tonight to impersonate two of the most unhappily matched villains in current crime fiction, we have Miss Joan Bennett and Mr. Burt Lancaster. Miss Bennett, an actress of great beauty and charm, slips out of character tonight to play Phyllis, who is beautiful and has a certain charm, but who is certainly not a lady. Mister Lancaster also abandons his usually pleasant manner in favor of the solemn and brooding nature of a gentleman named Walter Neff, who is far from gentle. And as an added dividend, you'll be hearing one of Broadway's brightest and busiest performers, Mister Mark McCormick as Barton Keys. Miss Bennett, Mister Lancaster, Mister McCormick, please to begin. Uh, uh, uh.
3: Dear Keith, I take great pleasure in dictating this report to you. Or you would call it a confession when you hear it. Well, I don't like the word confession. I just want to set you straight about something you couldn't see because it would smack up against your nose. Wait a second. Well, I plug this wound of mine a little tighter? Yes, I'm wounded. You think you're such a hot potato as a claims manager, such a phony wolf on phony claims. Now well, maybe you are. But well, let's take a look at that Dieterson claim. Accident and double indemnity. You were pretty good in that for a while, Keys. You said it wasn't an accident. Check. You said it was murder. Check. You Thought you had a cold, didn't you? All wrapped up in tissue paper with pink ribbons around it. it was perfect. Except what? Because you made one. One little mistake. When it came to picking the killer, you picked the wrong guy. You want to know who killed Dietrichson? Well, hold tight to that cheap cigar of yours, Keys. I killed Dietrichson. Me, Walden F. insurance salesman, 35 years old, unmarried, no visible scars Until a little while ago, that is. Yes, I killed him. I killed him for money and for a woman. And I didn't get the money. And I didn't get the woman. It's pretty, isn't it? I began last May. Around the end of May, it was. I'd been out to Glendale. On the way back, I remembered this renewal possibility near Lost Fields Boulevard. So I drove over there. The house was one of those California Spanish houses everybody was nuts about about 10 or 15 years ago. Is uh, Mr. Dietrichson in?
4: I'm Mrs. Dietrichson. What is it?
3: Well, how do you do, Mrs. Dietrichson? I'm Warren Pacific All-Risk.
4: Yes?
3: Pacific All-Risk Insurance about some renewals on the automobile insurance. I've been trying to can- contact your husband for the last two weeks, but he's, he's never in his office.
4: Is there anything I can do?
3: Well, the insurance ran out on the 15th. I'd hate to think of you having a smash fender or something while you're not, uh, fully covered.
4: Oh. Oh, perhaps I know what you mean. I've been taking a sunbath on the roof. I just slipped into any old thing.
3: No airplanes around, I hope. Uh, now about those policies, Mrs. D. Dickson.
4: Why don't you come in? We'll talk in the living room. Ness is the name, is
3: it? Yeah, with two S.
4: Well, suppose we sit down and you tell me about the insurance. Fine. My husband never tells me anything.
3: Well, it's only two cars. We've been handling this insurance for Mr. Deggson for three years, and we'd hate to see the policies left. That's a honey of an anklet you're wearing, Mrs. Deggson. As I was saying, we'd hate to see the policies left.
4: I guess my husband's been too busy down at Long Beach in the oil
3: field. Well, couldn't I catch him at home some evening for a few minutes?
4: You're a smart insurance man, aren't you, Mr. Ness?
3: Well, I've been out 11 years.
4: Doing pretty well? Oh,
3: it's
4: a Do You handle just automobile insurance or all kinds?
3: All kinds. Right on down the line.
4: Accident insurance?
3: Accident insurance for sure, Mrs. Dedrickson. I wish you'd tell me what's engraved on that anklet you're wearing.
4: Just my name. Which is? Phyllis.
3: Phyllis, huh? I think I like that.
4: But you're not sure? Oh,
3: I'd have to drive it around the block a couple of times.
4: Mr. Ned, why don't you drop by tomorrow evening about 8.30? He'll be here then. Who? My husband. You were anxious to talk to him, weren't you?
3: Yeah, I was, but uh I'm sort of getting over the idea, if you know what I mean.
4: There's a speed limit in the state, Mr. Ness, 45 miles an hour. I
3: mean, how fast was I going, officer?
4: I'd say around 90.
3: Suppose you get down off your motorcycle and give me a ticket.
4: Suppose I let you off with a warning this time.
3: Suppose it doesn't take.
4: Suppose I have to whack you over the knuckles.
3: <laughs> Suppose i bust out crying and put my head on your shoulder.
4: Suppose you try putting it on my husband's shoulder.
3: says it. 30 tomorrow evening, then?
4: That's what I suggested.
3: Will you be here, too?
4: I guess so. I usually
3: am. Same chair, same perfume? Same anklet?
4: I wonder if I know what you mean.
3: I wonder if you wonder. It was a hot afternoon. And I can still remember the smell of honeysuckle all along the street. Look, I have known that murder can sometimes smell like honeysuckle. Maybe you would have known, Keys the minute you mentioned accident insurance but I didn't. I felt like a million. I went back to the office to see if there was any mail. It was the day you had that truck driver from Englewood on the carpet. Remember, Keys, You sent me. Hello,
2: Walter. This is Sam Galapas from Englewood. Oh, sure, I know, Mr. Galapas. I wrote a policy on his truck. How are you, Mr. Galapas? I ain't so good. My truck pulled down. Yeah, he just fired his big foot on the starter and the whole thing blazed up on his face. Yes, sir. And didn't even singe his eyebrows. No, sir. Yeah? Sit down, Wallace. Now, look, Galavis. Every month, hundreds of claims come to my desk. Some of them are phonies. And I know which ones. How do I know? Because my little man tells me. Uh-huh. Huh? What little man? Here, inside me. Every time one of these phonies comes along, my little man ties knots in my stomach. I can't eat. Yours was a phony claim, galopas I couldn't eat. So what did I do? I sent a tow car over to your garage this morning, and they jacked up that burned-out truck of yours. And what did they find? They found what was left of a neat pile of shaving. Shaving? What shaving? The ones you soaked with kerosene and dropped a match on. Mm. I ain't feel so good, Miss Keith. Mm-hmm. Right, here, just a minute. Find this, and you'll feel fine. Sign what? It's a waiver on your claim. Right here. Mm-hmm. Here? Here. Have a pen. Now you're an honest man again. Goodbye, Galapos. I ain't got no more drugs. 2600 bucks is what that truck costs me. That's the lot I right? Here. What's the matter, Galapagos? Don't you know how to open the door? Just put your hand on the knob. Turn it to the left. Now pull it towards you. That's the boy. Thank you, Mr. Keyes. Goodbye, Mr. Lynette. Bye. Ah, uh, what kind of outfit is this, anyway? Are we an insurance company or just a bunch of dim-witted amateurs to write a policy on a mug like that? Now, wait a minute, Keys. I don't rate this beef. I clipped a memo to that Galapagos application to have him thoroughly investigated before we accepted the risk. I know you did, Walter. I'm not beating at you. the way the company will write anything just to get it down on the sales sheet. And I'm the guy that has to sit here up to my neck in phony claims so they won't throw more money out the window than they take at the door.
3: <laughs> okay. Turn the record over and let's hear the other side. Walter,
2: I've had 26 years of this. And let me tell you, I'm getting just... Enough. And you love every minute
3: of it, Keith. You love it. Only you worry about it too darn much. You and that little man.
2: That's enough from you, Walter. Get out of here before I throw my you. I love you, too.
3: Back in my office. Phone message from Philip Dietrich. She wanted the appointment put off from Wednesday night to Thursday afternoon. Instead, I tell you, I spent a lot of time the next few days thinking about Philip and the way that anchor of hers cut into her leg.
4: I hope you didn't mind my changing the appointment, Mr. Ness. Last night wasn't so convenient.
3: Oh, well, that's all right. I was I was working on my stamp collection.
4: I was just fixing myself some iced tea. Would you like some? Yeah,
3: unless you got a bottle of beer, it's not working.
4: Oh, I never know. There might be some in the icebox. Nettie! About those renewals, Mr. Ness. I talked to my husband about it. He'll renew it. He told me so. As a matter of fact, I thought he'd be here this afternoon. But he's not? No.
3: That's terrible.
4: Nettie! Oh, I forgot. Today's the maid's day off.
3: Well, never mind the beer. I you'll be fine. Lemon? Sugar? Fix it your way. As, as it's the maid's day off, maybe there's something I can do for you. Like, uh, like running a vacuum cleaner? Well, I used to pedal vacuum cleaners. Not much money, but you'll learn a lot about life.
4: Oh, I didn't think you'd learn it from a correspondence course. You're key. Thanks. Mr. Neff, I. Uh... Make it, Walter, huh? Walter? That's right. Tell me, Walter, on this insurance, how much commission do you make?
3: 20%.
4: Why? Oh, well, I thought perhaps I could throw a little more business your way. I can
3: always use
4: it. I was thinking about my husband. I worry a lot about him down in those oil fields. It's very dangerous.
3: Not for an executive, is it?
4: Oh, he just doesn't sit behind a desk. He's right down there with those drilling crews. It's got me worried sick.
3: You mean some dark night a crown block might fall on him? Huh? Oh, please don't talk like oh, that's that. that's the idea.
4: Well, don't you think he ought to have accident insurance?
3: Uh-huh.
4: Well, what kind of insurance could he have?
3: Well, enough to cover doctors and hospital bills. 725 125 a week cash benefit. And he'd rate around 50,000 capital sum.
4: Capital sum? What's that?
3: In case he gets killed. Maybe I shouldn't have said that.
4: I suppose you have to think of everything in your business. Uh, I want to ask you something, Walter. Did I get an insurance policy on my husband without bothering him at all? How's that again? It would make it easier for you, too. You wouldn't even have to talk to him.
3: Well, why shouldn't he know?
4: Because he doesn't want accident insurance. He's superstitious about
3: it. A lot of people are. That's funny, isn't it?
4: If there was a way to get it like that, all the worry would be over See what I mean, Walter?
3: Sure. You mean you wanted to have that policy without him knowing it? And that means without the insurance company knowing he doesn't know it. That's the setup, isn't
4: it? Is there anything wrong with it? No.
3: I think it's lovely. And then if some dark, wet night that crown block did fall on... What
4: crown block?
3: Only, uh, sometimes it can't quite make it on its own. It has to have a little help.
4: I don't know what you're talking about. Of
3: course, it doesn't have to be a crown block. It could fall out of the upstairs window. Any little thing like that just so long as it's a morgue job. Are
4: you crazy? Not
3: that crazy. Goodbye, Mrs. Dederson. What's
4: the matter?
3: Look, you can't get away with it. You want to knock him off, don't you?
4: That's a horrible thing to say. What
3: do you think I was, anyway? A guy that walks into a good-looking dame's front parlor and says, good afternoon, I sell accident insurance and husbands. Have you got one that's been around too long? Or one you'd like to turn into a little hard cash? Just give me a smile, I'll help you collect. Boy, what a dope you must think I am. I think you're right. I think you're swell, as long as I'm not your husband. Get out of here. You'll bet I'll get out of here, baby. I'll get out of here. But quick. I wasted a lot of time that afternoon trying to get her out of my system. I went back to my apartment. I sat there looking out of the window, thinking she was a red-hot poker I'd got my hands on. I'd better let go now before my hand got burned off. It had begun to rain outside, and I watched it get dark. And I didn't even turn on the light. And right then it dawned on me that the hook was too strong. That this wasn't the end between her and me. It was only the beginning.
4: Hello. You forgot your hat this afternoon.
3: How did you know where I live?
4: You're in the phone book. It's raining.
3: Come in. See the coat off and sit down. Your husband working?
4: Yes, he phoned. he'd be late. It's about time you said you're glad to see me.
3: I knew you wouldn't leave it like that. Like what? Sit down. Like it was this afternoon.
4: I must have said something that gave you a terribly wrong impression. You must never think anything like that about me, Walter. Okay. No, it's not okay. Not if you don't believe me. Now what do you want me to do? I want you to be nice to me. Like the first time you came to the house. It can't
3: be like the first time. Nothing's happened.
4: I know it has. It's happened to us. Maybe I oughtn't to have come. Maybe I oughtn't. Want... You want me to go?
3: No. Come here, baby.
4: Oh, Walter
3: here. What's the name of it? I don't
4: know. I bought it in Ensenada.
3: You know, about... about six months ago, a guy slipped on a cake of soap in his bathtub. Not because of cold, was drowned. Only he had an accident insurance. So, they had an autopsy, and she didn't get away with it. Who didn't? His wife. All she collected was a three to ten stretch into Tehachapi.
4: Perhaps it was worth it to her. Walter, let me go for a second.
3: Sure. Make yourself at home.
4: Nice here, Walter. There's
3: a wonderful view over here out the window.
4: No, thanks. I hate looking out at the rain. Oh, oh, you ought to have your couch sprung. Did you ever think of a divorce? He wouldn't give me a divorce. Too much money? He hasn't got any money. Not since he went into the oil business.
3: But he had it when you married him.
4: Yes, he had. And I wanted our home. Why not? Lovola. But that's not beyond reason. I was his wife's nurse. She was sick a long time. When she died, he was terribly broken up. I... I pitied him so. And now you hate him? Yes. He's always been mean to me. Even his life insurance all goes to that daughter of his, that Lola.
3: Nothing for you at all?
4: No, and nothing is just what I'm worth to him.
3: And so you... You lie awake in the dark and listen to him snore and and get ideas.
4: Walter, I don't want to kill him. I never did. Not even when he gets drunk and slaps my face.
3: Only sometimes you wish you were dead.
4: Perhaps I do.
3: And you wish it was an accident and that you had that policy for $50,000. Is that it? I'll tell you what it would be like if you had that accident policy and tried to kill him. We've got a guy in our office named Keys. In three minutes, he'd know it wasn't an accident. In ten minutes, you will be sitting under the hot lights. And in a half an hour, you will be signing the name for a confession.
4: Walter, I didn't do it. I'm not
3: going to now, do if it. Now, there's an insurance company in the picture, baby. They'll hang you just as sure as ten dimes will buy a dollar. And I don't want you to hang, baby. Stop thinking about it. Yeah. All
2: right. <laughs>
3: Started crying softly like rain on the window. And we didn't say anything. Maybe she'd stopped thinking about it, but I hadn't. I couldn't. Because you know how it is, Keys. In this business, you can't sleep for trying to figure out all the tricks they could pull on you. you are like the guy behind the roulette wheel, watching the customers to make sure they don't crook on the house. And then one evening, one evening, you get to thinking how you could crook on the house yourself and do it smart. or if you got the wheel right under your hand. And you think all you needed is a plant out front, a shield to put down the bed. And then suddenly, suddenly the doorbell rings. The whole setup is right there in the room with you. Look, I'm not trying to whitewash myself. I fought it. Only I. I guess I didn't fight it hard enough. The stakes were $50,000. For the life of a man, too. A man who'd never done me any dirt. Except he was married to a woman he didn't care about. Did and I was holding her in my arms.
4: Will you phone me? Sure. Walter, I hate him. I loathe going back to him. You believe me, don't you, Walter? Sure, I believe you. I can't stand it anymore. What if they did hang me?
3: They're not going to hang you, baby. They're not going to hang you because I'm going to help you do it.
4: Do you know what you're saying?
3: Sure, I know what I'm saying. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right. I'm the guy that knows how.
4: Hey, Walter, you're hurting my arms.
3: There's not going to be any slip-ups. Nothing sloppy. Nothing weak. Call me tomorrow, but, uh, but not from the house, from a booth. And watch your step every single minute. This has got to be perfect. You want to stand? Straight down the line.
4: Straight down the line.
3: And that was it.
1: a production of Double Indemnity, starring Burt Lancaster and Joan Bennett, with Myron McCormick. And now, Nelson Case. For four months now, you've been seeing a new
3: car on the road, floating by on the highway, gliding past on the street, a sleek, shining car with a low silhouette, an air of beauty and comfort, a feeling of power, and effortless ease of handling. You've seen it pass countless times. You've admired the way it hugs the road and flows around curves and over bumps, the way it maneuvers in traffic. From far away, you've recognized the distinctive airfoil grill and advanced design. And you've stopped to look closely at its smooth modern lines, its picture windows, its roomy interior, a luxurious living room on wheels, the comfort and strength and beauty that are built into every detail. Yes, you know very well what car it is. Like millions of others know it, you follow it with your eyes because you find pleasure just in looking at it. And every time you see it, you know why it's the car of the year, the 1949 Ford. And now, Joan Bennett and Burt Lancaster resume the Ford Theater's presentation of
2: Double Indemnity. <laughs>
3: I had to get him to sign an application without his knowing what he was signing. And I wanted another witness besides Phyllis to hear me give him a sales talk. I was trying to think of you with your brains, Keith. Because I wanted all the answers ready for all the questions that you were going to spring as soon as Dietrichson was dead. A couple of nights later, I went to the house. Everything looked fine. Except they didn't like the witness that Phyllis had brought in. It was Dietrichson's daughter, Lola. The old man with a real grouch.
2: The last thing you'll tell me, I need earthquake insurance and lightning insurance and hail insurance.
4: If we bought all the insurance they could think of, we'd stay broke
2: paying for it, wouldn't we, honey? What keeps us broke is you going out and buying five hats in a crack. Who needs a hat in California? Dollar for dollar, Mr. Dietrichson. Accident insurance is the cheapest coverage that you can buy. Uh, maybe some other time, Mr. Nick. Whatever you say. Suppose we just settle about my old insurance tonight. Sure. All we need on that is for you to sign the application for renewal. Father,
4: All right if I run
2: along now? Run along where? Who is? Jeff Ann. And who?
4: Ann Matthews.
2: It's not that needle spaghetti guy again, yes, is it? It's Ann
4: Matthews. I told you we were going roller
2: skiing. Better not be that spaghetti guy. If I ever catch you... Good night, Father. Good night, Philly. Good night.
4: Good
2: night, Miss Ederson. Oh, I'm sorry.
4: Good night,
3: Mr... Ness. Good night, Mr. Ness. Don't you stay out late. Oh. Uh-huh. Now, you'll just sign these, Mr. Peterson. Sign what? The applications for your auto renewal. So you'll be covered until the new policies are issued. Well, will that be? Oh, in about a week. Just so I'm covered
2: when I drive up doors. San Francisco? Palo Alto.
4: He was a Stanford man, Mr. Nett, and he still goes to his class reunion every year. Well,
2: what's wrong with that? Can I have a little fun even once a year? Where do I sign? The bottom line. Both copies, please.
3: Signed twice, sir. Yes, one of the agents copy, and I, I need it for my files. Files.
2: Duplicates, triplicates. There you are, both sides. Both of them. I'll walk Mr. Knapp out to his car. That's right,
4: Willie. You left it, you'll catch call. I'll be all right. Walter, was it all right? Fine. He signed it, didn't he?
3: Sure, it is. You saw him. Listen, that cookie said he was going to make to Palo Alto. When does he leave? End of the month. He drives, huh?
4: He always drives.
3: Well, not this time. You're going to make him take the train. Why? Because it's all worked out for a train. Listen, baby, there's a clause in every accident policy a little thing called double indemnity. That means they pay double on certain kinds of accidents, a kind that almost never happens. Like, for instance, if a guy is killed on a train, they pay 100000 instead of $50,000. I see. We're hitting it for the limit, baby. That's why it's got to be the train.
4: It'll be the train, Walter, Just the way you want it. Straight down the line.
3: Keith, you know that big market up on Los Feliz? That's the spot Phillips and I had picked out for a meeting place. There were still a lot of details that she had to know my heart. I didn't let her call me at the office. So she was to be at the market every morning about 11 o'clock... And I could sort of run into her any day I wanted to see her. Sort of accidentally on purpose.
4: What? I've got to talk
3: to That's so allowed. Let me talk first. All set. The accident policy came through. I got it in my pocket. I got it too. I'm down at the oil field. thought he was paying for the auto insurance. Checks just made out to the company, so it can be for anything. But you have to send a check for the auto insurance. <laughs> Open your bed quick. I'll put the policy inside.
4: Here.
3: Can you get in the safe deposit box?
4: Yes, we both have keys.
3: Fine. But don't put the policy in there yet. Up the way. Okay. Now, when is he leaving on the train?
4: That's just it. He isn't going. What? I've been trying to tell you the trip is all. Uh, mister, could you receive that package of baby food? That one up there. Oh,
3: oh, sure. Hey, I'll. Thanks. I don't know why they always put what I want on the top. Go ahead,
4: baby. Walter, he had a fall down at the oil field. Broke his leg. It's in a cab. What do we do now? Nothing. We just wait. Wait for what?
3: Until he can take the train. I told you it's got to be the train.
4: There are other ways.
3: Maybe. Maybe, but we've got to wait.
4: Maybe we have, but it Only is so tough not being able to see. It's like a wall between us.
3: Look, I better go now, baby. And just remember. I'm thinking of yet every minute. After that, a full week went by and I didn't see Phyllis once. I tried to keep my mind off, off the whole idea. Maybe those fates they say watch over you had gotten together and broken his legs to give me a way out. And then it was the 15th of June. You remember that
2: day, Keys? So he came into my office about three in the afternoon. Hello, Walter. Oh, hello, Keyes. Came from the Norton's office. Semi annual sales records are out. You're a high man, Walter. Twice in a row. Congratulations. Thanks. How'd you like a cheap drink?
3: Excuse me. Sure. One sure. that's speaking.
4: I had to call you, Walter. Very urgent. Are you with somebody?
3: I am. Uh, can I call you back, uh, Margie? No,
4: you can't. I've only got a minute. I can't wait. Listen. He's going on the train tonight. Are you listening?
3: Go ahead, Margie. Only uh, only make it snappy, will you? He's
4: on crutches. The doctor says he can go. He's careful. The change will do him good. Walter, it's just the way you want it. On a train. Only with crutches, it
3: makes it that much better, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's
4: uh, that's 100% better. The 10 from Glendale. I'm driving into the train. It's still the same dark street, isn't it? And the signal is still three
3: halves of the horn. Yeah. Okay, anything else? Uh no. Uh, uh wait, uh what color did you pick? He'll
4: be wearing a navy blue suit. And the cast is on his left leg.
3: Uh-huh. Uh yeah, that that, that suits me fine.
4: This is it, Wolf.
2: I'm shaking like a leaf straight down the line for both of us. I love you, Wolf. Goodbye. Sorry, Keys. Marjorie? I bet she drinks from the bottle. Well, I gotta get back to my office. Uh, yeah, sure. The
3: plan for the murder was simple. I planned myself an alibi which would prove that I hadn't been out of the house all evening. I'd put on a navy blue suit just like the one Dietrichson was wearing. I'd go down the back stairs, walk out to the Dietrichson house, sneak into the garage with a key that Phyllis had given me, and hide in the back of the car. On the way to the station, Phyllis was going to drive off somewhere onto a dark street and haunt the horn three times when the coast was clear pop 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 my hat down over my face as we stood there on the station platform.
4: I start as soon as the train leaves,
3: right? Right. And when you get to the refinery, train off onto the dirt road. From there it's exactly eight-tenths of a mile to the dumpy side the tracks. Remember? I remember. And no speeding. You don't want any cops stop you with the caution into that. What have
4: we been through all that so many
3: times? When you leave the highway turn off all your lights, I'll be back on the observation platform. I'll drop off as close to the spot as I can. Let the train pass and then dim your lights
4: Car 9, section 11. And second
2: car down. Better get out here and walk through the train. We'll be leaving in a second now.
4: Thank you. Can you make it up, honey? Yeah. Take good care of
2: yourself with that leg. Yeah. Take it easy, driving home. Come all right now.
3: I'll make you, honey. Bye. I got to my berth and I told the porter to make it up. Then I told him I was going back to the observation car for smoke. I shook him off when he wanted to help me. I got a jolt when I got out onto the observation platform. There was a the guy there who wanted to talk. You know him, please. A fella named Jackson.
2: Evening. My name's Jackson. Going all the way to Medford. Medford Oregon. Uh-huh. I had a broken arm once. That darn chest itches something serious, some doesn't it? Uh-huh. I thought I'd go crazy with mine. <laughs> uh, Looking for something, Mr.... Uh, the Uh-huh. Bet you left something behind. I always know. My cigar case, I, I guess I left it in my overcoat pocket, black and sexy. Would you like to roll yourself a cigarette?
3: Uh, no, no, thanks. I, I really prefer cigars. Maybe the porter
2: could... Do. I could get your cigars for you. Be glad to, Mr. Dietrichson. Well, if it's, if it's not too much trouble, it's car nine, section 11.
3: Car nine, section 11. i friend I saw the lights on Phyllis's car blink twice. Then I hopped off the train. I rolled over once or twice and got a little dusty, but no real damage. From that point on, we had to move fast. I left the question and Phyllis and I dragged Dietrichson over onto the tracks and left him sprawl there like a sack of empty peanuts. That's all there was to it. Nothing had slipped. Nothing had been overlooked, and there was nothing to give us away. And yet, Keys, after I took Phyllis home, as I was walking down the street back to my Suddenly it came over me that everything would go wrong. Sounds crazy, Keys, but it's true. So help me, I couldn't hear my own footsteps. It was the walk of a dead man.
1: and the second act of Double Indemnity starring Burt Lancaster and Joan Bennett with Myron McCormick. Nelson Case, let us talk. Gladly. I have a question. The other day, I had a chance to drive a 49 Ford in traffic, and I was amazed at how beautifully it handled. Now, why? What's the secret of that new Ford steering?
3: Basically, it's the improvement in the geometry of
1: the steering assembly. The, uh, geometry? Yes. You stop to think about it. The two front
3: wheels and the steering gear form the three points of the triangle. In the 1949 Ford, that triangle has been constructed so that the driver gets the most effective steering with the least amount
1: of effort. Technically, it's an improvement in the steering linkage. Well, it's certainly effective. In traffic and parking, the 49er handles like a dream. Have you had out on the highway? No, not yet,
3: but I intend to. Well, that's where the new Ford ride really shows up. The hydrocoil
1: its roominess, particularly on long drives. But then that's the basis of the design of the whole car. The 49 Ford was created for comfortable riding and easy
3: driving. That's the important thing about it. Everybody knows how good the 1949 Ford looks, but you've got to ride it to know how good it really is.
1: So we're in complete agreement. Thank you, Mr. Case.
3: There's one thing more. Ah, yes. Station identification.
1: Oh, yes. Station identification, then. Following which, we'll hear the third act of Double Indemnity, starring Burt Lancaster and Joan Bennett. This is
2: CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. KNX AM and FM, Columbia Square, Los Angeles.
1: by Howard Rodman from the motion picture script by Raymond Chandler and Billy Wilder. Radio is frequently indebted to Hollywood for its dramatic material. Recently, however, Hollywood has discovered that it can find excellent film material in radio. Mr. Bert Lancaster, for instance, is currently starring in Sorry, Wrong Number, which Paramount Pictures adapted from a radio script. Mr. Lancaster, who is a busy man these days, may also be seen soon in Kiss the Blood Off My Hand. And its latest vehicle is the Eagle Lion production, Hollow Triumph. Now for the third act of Double Indemnity.
3: That was the longest night I ever lived, and the next day was worse when the story broke in the papers. Come on, Walter. There's
2: big boss. Oh. You. Hello, Keyes. What is it? That uh, the Diederson case? That's uh, me. Is he wrong? The guy's dead. We got him insured and it's going to cost us money. That's always wrong. Uh, what have you got so far? Well? Autopsy report. No heart failure. No apoplexy. No predisposing medical cause of any kind. He died of a broken neck. What is the inquest? I had it this morning. We go in here. Wife and daughter made the identification. Train people and some passengers told our Dietrichson went through to the observation car. It's all over in 45 minutes. Verdict: accidental death. Uh, good morning, Miss Andrews.
4: Hello. I'll tell the boss you're here. He's expecting you.
2: What does the police think? That uh, Dietrichson got tangled up in his crutches and fell off the train. They're satisfied. It's not their though. You can come
4: right in, Mr. Ness.
2: Oh, thanks. He's on the phone. I believe the legal position is quite clear. Just stand by. All right. I'll call you later. Come in, Mr. Keyes. You do, Mr. Neff. Thanks. Sit down. Sit down. Any new developments? Oh, nothing much. Dietrichson's secretary says she doesn't know anything about his taking out this insurance policy. I, uh, I couldn't sell
3: him at first. Uh, Mrs. Dietrichson opposed it. He told me to think it over, and later I went down to the oil
2: field and closed him. He signed the application. And he gave me his check. And a fine piece of saleship that was, Mr. Neff. There's no sense in pushing that for Are we sure Dietrichson fell off a train? I don't get it. You don't, Mr. Keyes. And what do you think of this case? No opinion at all. I'm surprised, Mr. Keyes. I've formed a very definite opinion. I think I know what happened to Dietrichson. Mm Hmm? You think you know what? In my opinion, it was not an accident. I think it was suicide. What do you say to that? (laughs) Hello, Jeeves. What's in your mind? Uh, Forgive me for driving around to your apartment, Walter, but uh, there's something wrong. Yeah? I ate dinner two hours ago. Stuck halfway. I got myself an idea and couldn't swallow. There's something wrong with that Dietrichson kid. Well, Well, what's in your mind? That broken leg. Dietrichson broke his leg. What are you talking about? Talking about Dietrichson. He had accident insurance, didn't he? Then he broke his leg, didn't he? For what? He didn't put in a claim. Why didn't he put in a claim? Why? What the dickens are you driving at? Uh, Maybe he just didn't know he was insured. Oh, no, no, that couldn't be. You delivered the policy to him personally, didn't you, Walter? Sure, I did. Mm Uh-huh. Got any black carbonate
3: soda? No. Uh, No, I haven't, sir. Maybe Norton was right.
2: Maybe he wants suicide. No. Not suicide. But not accident, either. Well, what else? Look, a man takes out an accident policy that's worth $100,000 if he's killed on a train. Then, two weeks later, he is killed on a train. And not in a train accident, mind you, but falling off an observation car. Something has been worked on us. Well, uh, such as, such as what? Murder?
3: Who do you suspect?
2: I always tend to suspect the beneficiary. The wife. Yeah. That wide-eyed dame that didn't know anything about anything. You're crazy, Keys. She wasn't even on the train. I know she wasn't, Walter. I don't claim to know how it worked or who worked it, but I know that it was worked. Well, I've got to get to a drugstore. That dinner feels like a hunk of concrete inside of me. Good night, Walter. Keys. Okay. Uh what are you going to do? I'd like to move in on Mrs. Dietrichson right now, tonight. It wasn't for the boss and these striped pants ideas about company policy. Only, you haven't got a single thing to go on, Keith. Uh-huh, no, not much. Forty-six years' experience, all the percentage there is in this mop of concrete in my stomach. Uh? see you in the morning. Good night. Walter?
3: Huh? Oh, Phyllis, did you hear?
4: How much do you think he knows? Well,
3: it's not what he knows, but those stinking hunches of his.
4: But he can't prove anything, can he?
3: Well, not if we're careful. Not if we don't see too much of each other for a while.
4: For so how long I
3: while? Well, and until this all dies down. You don't know Keyes the way I do. He'll watch you every minute from now on. Are you afraid, baby?
4: Yes, I'm afraid. But not of Keyes. I'm afraid of us. It's you and me I'm afraid of, Walter.
3: It was the following day that that Lola Dedrickson came in to see me She was plenty upset
4: Mr. Neff I'm not crazy Or I'm, I'm not hysterical I'm not even crying Only I have an awful feeling That something's wrong I had the same feeling once before When my mother died
3: when your mother died?
4: We were up at Lake Arrowhead six years ago and it was bitterly cold. My mother was very sick with pneumonia and so she had a nurse with her but there were just the three of us in the cabin. Well, one night I got up and I went into my mother's room. She was delirious with fever and all the bed covers were on the floor and the windows were wide open. The nurse wasn't in the room, so I ran over and I covered up my mother just as quickly as I could. And just then I heard the door open behind me. The nurse stood there. She didn't say a word. But there was a look in her eyes I'll never forget. Two days later, my mother was dead. you know who that nurse was? No. Six months later, she married my father. I kind of talked myself out of the idea that she could have done anything like that. But now, something has happened to my father, too.
3: You're not making sense, Miss Bedrickson. Your father fell off a train.
4: And two days before he fell off a train, what was Phyllis doing? She was in her room in front of a mirror, Mr. Knapp, with a black hat on. And she was putting a black veil on it as if she couldn't wait to see how she'd look in mourning.
3: Lola Dietrichson was going to tell her story to anybody who would listen to you. There was only one thing I could do about it. I offered to take her out that night. I wanted to cheer her up. So I took her to dinner at a little Mexican joint in Aldera Street where nobody could see her. The next day, Sunday, we went for a ride down to the beach. That day, she even left. I had to make sure that she wouldn't tell that stuff about Phyllis to anybody else. And I had no chance to talk to Phyllis myself. You were watching her like a hawk. I couldn't even phone her. because I was afraid that you had wires tapped. And then you closed in on us a little more, Kate. You even tracked down Jackson, the guy on the observation platform. And with his help, you figured it all out to the letter. The fact that Dietrichson was never on the train in the first place. The fact that someone had posed as Dietrichson, sent Jackson back to the guards, jumped off the tracks, and planted Dietrichson's body on the tracks. The only thing you didn't know was that the guy who jumped off the train was me. I wasn't sure how much you did know. But that morning you asked me to come to your office. Jackson was there facing the door when I came in.
2: On the way, Walter. This is Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson? He's checking some pictures for me. Look, Mr. Jackson. Here's a picture of Dietrich. Is that the man you talked to on the train that night? Uh, no, sir, it is not. Mr. Jackson, this is Mr. Nat. Oh, please meet you, Mr. Nash. Jackson, I want you to stick around for a while in town. Expenses paid, of course. Of course. Got me in the cashier's office. You ever been in Oregon, Mr. Neff? Uh, no, I, I've never been up there. Hello, Lovin. This is Cage. Uh, listen, I am oh, uh, sending a man named Jackson. Oh, wait a minute. You ever go trout fishing? Maybe minute, I saw Mr. you up at Klamath like, Falls place. Nope, I don't fish. Take You ever go, go fishing, yeah, Mr. Neff? yeah, he's coming right down. Okay. It's the name. There's a family in there from Corvallis. No relation. All right, Mr. Jackson. Suppose you go down to the cashier's office. They'll take care of your expense account. Uh, well, bye, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Bye, right, Mr. Jackson. It's next. Bye. Well, there it is, Walter. Now we know the Dietrichson dam is in it, and somebody else. Pretty soon we'll know that somebody else is. He'll show. He's got to show. Whether it's love or hate, doesn't matter. They can't keep away from each other. They may think it's twice as safe, but it's ten times as dangerous. They've committed murder. It's not like taking a trolley ride together where they can get off at different stops. They're stuck with each other. They've got to ride all the way to the end of the line. It's a one-way trip, Walter. And the last stop is the cemetery. (laughs)
4: the matter?
3: Everything's the matter. She's just sitting back with us, mouth of waiting for you to sue. But you're not going
4: to... Well, if he rejects my claim, I have to sue.
3: Yeah? And then they will have you in court and a lot of other things are going to come up. Like for instance, about you and the, the first Mrs. Dietrichson.
4: What about me and the first Mrs. Dietrichson?
3: The way she died. Oh? And about that black hat you were trying on. Before you needed a black
4: hat. Oh, Lola's been telling you some of her cockeyed stories. She's been
3: seeing you. I've been seeing her. You want to know? So she won't yell her head off about what she knows
4: putting on an axe for you, crying all over your shoulder, that lying little... Look,
3: all I'm telling you is you're not going to sue. It isn't the money anymore. It's our necks. We're pulling out, you understand?
4: Because of what Keith can do? You're not fooling me, Walter. Because of Lola. What she did to her father. You're afraid she might find out someday.
3: We can't go through it, that's all. We
4: have gone through it. Walter, the tough part is all behind us. We just have to hold on now and not go soft inside. Stick close together, the way we started out. (laughs) Excuse me.
3: Well,
4: watch it. I loved you, Walter, and I hated him. But I wasn't going to do anything about it. Not till I met you. You planned the whole thing. I only wanted him dead.
3: And I'm the one that fixed it so he was. Is that what you're telling me?
4: We went into it together, and we're coming out at the end together. It's straight down the line for both of us. You remember that.
2: (laughs) I remember, Pete, about
3: that trolley ride you talked about in the cemetery at the end of the line. And then I got to thinking what cemeteries were for. I guess that was the first time I ever thought of Phyllis that way. Dead, I mean. And how would it would be if she were dead? And then a couple of things hit me in succession. First, Lola. I saw her three or four times that week. Last time, she told me about a boyfriend she used to have, a guy she was still in love with with him then for some stupid reason like well like not maybe having enough to do with herself the night she wasn't with me. She'd been following the ex-boyfriend. You ought to remember his name Keys. You told me about him the next day.
2: Walter hang on to your hat. That Dickinson case is just busted wide open. The guy showed what guy? The guy who helped her do it. Oh the the somebody else? What's more, she just filed suit against us. What when we get her into the courtroom, I'll tear them to pieces, both of them. Come on, Walter, I'll buy you a beer. No, uh, uh, no thanks, Keith. Uh, I got a shave in the shoe shop. I got a date. Margie again? I still bet she drank from a bottle.
3: I was scared stiff, Keith. Maybe you were playing cat and mouse with me. And maybe you know all along that I was with somebody else. I had to find out. And I knew where to look. In your office. Late that night, I took a record out of your files and I played it on the dictaphone. This
2: same dictaphone. Memo of Mr. Norton, confidential. Dietrichson, file. With regard to your proposal to put Walter Neff under surveillance, I disagree, absolutely. No connection whatever has been established between Walter Neff and Mrs. Phyllis Dietrichson. Whereas I am now able to report that such a connection has been established between her and another observed to visit Mrs. Dedrickson on several successive nights, and we have succeeded in identifying him as one Nino Zacchetti. Hello,
4: Walter. Hello, baby. I was sitting with the lights out, watching for
3: you. Anybody else in the house? Nobody. about automobile insurance. Only you were thinking about murder. And I was thinking about that anklet.
4: And what are you thinking about now?
3: I'm all through thinking, baby. I just came to say goodbye. A friend of mine's got a funny theory. He says when two people commit murder, it's sort of like they were riding on a trolley car together. One can't get off without the other. They're stuck with each other, and they have to go on riding together clear to the end of the line. The last stop is the cemetery.
4: Maybe he's got something there.
3: You bet he has. I've got another guy to finish the ride for me.
4: Just who are you talking about?
3: An acquaintance of yours, Mr. Zacchetti. Been you and this Ketty guy all along, hasn't it? That's not true. Well, it doesn't make any difference if it's true or not. The point is, Keys believes Zacchetti is the one he's been looking for. Walter,
4: maybe I don't go for the idea. Maybe I'd rather do a little talking.
3: You know, sometimes people are where they can't talk. Under six feet of dirt, maybe. And if it was you, they'd charge that to up too, wouldn't they? Sure they would.
4: And that would make everything just lovely for you, wouldn't
3: it? That's right. And if it's got to be done before that suit of yours comes to trial and Lola gets a chance to send off, before they trip you up in the stand and you start to go down and drag me with you.
4: Maybe I had Zagetti here so they wouldn't get a chance to trip me up. We can get the money and be together.
3: <laughs> That's cute. Say it again.
4: He came here first to ask where Lola was. I made him come back. He's a crazy sort of guy, quick-tempered. I kept hammering into him that she was with another man, so he'd go into one of his jealous rages, and then I'd tell him where she was. He has a gun. And you know what he do, would have done to us, Don't you, Walter?
3: Yeah. And for once, I believed it. Because it's just rotten enough. We're both rotten, Walter. Only you're just a little more rotten. <laughs> you got me to take care of your husband for you. and you got spaghetti to take care of Lola. Maybe take care of me, too. And then somebody else would have to come along to take care of the kitty for you. That's the way you operate, isn't it, baby? What? You can do better than that. Can't you, baby? Better try again. Maybe if I come a little closer. How's this? Think you can do it now? Why don't you shoot again, baby? Tell me it's because you've been in love with me all the time.
4: No, I never loved you, Walter. Not you or anybody else. I used you. Just as I was going to try music That's all you ever meant. I could use you. Until a minute ago when I couldn't fire that second shot. Something kept me from pulling the trigger. I never thought that could happen to me. I didn't know I cared that much for you, Walter.
3: Sorry, baby. I'm not buying.
4: Are not asking you to buy. Just hold me close.
3: Yeah. Close, like this. Walter. Goodbye, baby. <coughs> it's almost four thirty. Still lying alone up there in that house, or whether they found it by now—I wonder a lot of things, but they don't matter anymore. Hello, Walter. Hello, Keys. You're up pretty early, aren't you? I always wondered what you, what time you got down to that office, sir. I that little man if he was pull you out of bed. Janet is there. It seems you leaked a little blood on the way out there. I wouldn't be surprised. I wanted to straighten you out on the Dietrichson case. Mm-hmm. So I gather. How long have you been standing here? Long enough. Well, now I suppose we get the big speech. One with all those two dollars words in it. <laughs> now, let's have it, Keyes. Walter, you're all washed up. Well, thanks, Keyes. I'm going to call a doctor. What for? Will so they lift me back to my feet and put me in a gas chamber? Is that it, Keyes? I, I got, got a different idea. but Keith. Suppose you went back to bed and you, you didn't find those dictaphone film until tomorrow morning when, you, when, when the office opens. Answer that you can, you can work things out any way you like. Would you do that for me, Keyes? <sighs> Give me one good reason. I need four hours to get where I'm going the border. You haven't got a
2: chance, Walter. You'll never make the border. You'll never even make the elevator. Yeah. Will you watch me? The full keys.
3: no keys you know why you couldn't figure this one why because the guy you were looking for was, was too close he was right across the desk from you
2: closer than that, Walter yeah i love you too <sighs> From the Ford Theater on Broadway, you've just heard Burt Lancaster and Joan Bennett with Myron McCormick in Double Indemnity by James M. King.
3: The original musical score was composed and conducted by Cy Feuer. The Ford Theater, a full hour of dramatic entertainment, is brought to you every Friday by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars,
1: Ford trucks, farm tractors, and industrial engines. Now again, Fletcher Markle. May a director identify the principals in our cast tonight. In the foreground... Celeste Dietrichson. ...was played, of course, by Miss Bennett. Walter Neff ...was played by Mr. Lancaster. Bart Keys ...was played by Myron McCormick. Mr. Norton. ...was Joe DeSantis. Lola Dietrichson. ...was Mercedes McCambridge. Mr. Jackson. ...was played by Robert Dryden. Actively assisting were Hedley Rennie, Miriam Wolfe, and Ivor Francis. Now to next week. Next week on the Ford Theater, we're offering a bright American comedy about a small-town girl who makes good, but can't make up her mind. If she has any brains at all, they're scattered, because she's the kind of girl who suddenly finds herself engaged to three young men. Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's the name of our story. And as for our stars, we look forward warmly to the astonishingly individual Miss Lucille Ball. And with her, the individually astonishing Mr. Eddie Albert. I hope you'll be with us. Till next Friday, then, until Tom, Dick, and Harry with Lucille Ball and Eddie Albert, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night and thank you from all of us in the four theaters.
3: <laughs> Double Indemnity was presented tonight for the courtesy of Paramount Pictures. Producers of Night Has a Thousand Eyes, starring Edward G. Robinson, John Lund, and Gail Russell. Remember, October is the month of the Community chess drive in your city and all over the nation. Remember that the Community chess means many campaigns in one. More than 12,000 Red Feather services receive Community Chest support. Remember that the need for these services is greater than ever before. Remember that everybody benefits, everybody gives. Remember to give to the Community chess.
0: Ford Theater, as a radio-dramatic anthology series, lasted for only two seasons. It morphed into a better-known and more popular television show called Ford Television Theater. At various times, the television series appeared on all three major television networks, while the radio version was broadcast on two separate networks and on two separate coasts. Ford Theater was named for its sponsor, the Ford Motor Company, which had an earlier success with its concert music series, the Ford Sunday Evening Hour, which ran from 1934 to 1942. The first season of the radio show was broadcast from New York City on NBC with such actors as Ed Begley, Shirley Booth, and Vicki Vola. This season ran from October 1947 to June 1948. Due to poor ratings, Ford moved the show to Hollywood and CBS for the second season, where top Hollywood actors headed the casts. This second season, which lasted from October 1948 to July 1949, received much higher ratings. However, with television rising in popularity, Ford decided to end its radio show and focus solely on television. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.